Let us hear now our second reading, which comes from the first chapter of Matthew's gospel. Listen for God's word for us. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. I remember at this time of year, one of my former congregations, we had a tradition for the Christmas Eve family chaos service. We would tell the Christmas story and we would invite the children to come up and play whatever part they wanted to play in the service. It was, it was a smaller congregation and much fewer children, but still we had several Marys and there was a host of angels. There was no need to limit the Magi to just three. And there were kids that would come dressed as stable animals, not just sheep, but once we had a jack and one kid was a cow. He just mooed through the whole thing. And one little girl came every year dressed as the star. Yeah, the awe was actually written in the text. You did well. <laughs> but one year I was going through this and I said, the angel appeared to Joseph. Who would like to come be Joseph? And nobody moved. I said, oh, come on now, somebody wants to be Joseph. The angel appears to Joseph, who would like to be Joseph? No takers. Before I could offer a third time, one of the Marys said, let's just move on, who needs Joseph anyway? <laughs> she has a point. Mary is the chosen one. Joseph just seems to tag along like the luggage. Joseph drops from the pages of Scripture before Jesus is baptized, no longer part of the story. Maybe we should just move on. It's the take of much religious art. Joseph is often, often painted a bit removed, sometimes appearing disinterested, while the world stands in the glow of Mary and her baby. Who needs Joseph? Matthew thinks we do. Matthew thinks we can't get through this story without Joseph. When Matthew looks at Joseph, he sees a righteous man. It's as if just as God chooses Mary, 
God chooses Joseph to raise his son. We are told that Joseph is a righteous man. He is the kind of man you could trust. He stood tall when things fell apart, which is exactly what happens. Mary is with child, but it's not Joseph's child. This is a child that is born of woman, as is every child, but born of God's power, as is no, ch no other child. This child is God's son, but it appears that God wants Joseph to be his daddy. Just as God chooses Mary to be this child's mother, God chooses Joseph to raise his son, to teach him the skill of carpentry, to take him to synagogue, to teach him to read Torah, and to teach Jesus how to stand tall when the world falls apart. Jesus is going to need to know how to do that. But we meet Joseph when he is in a bind. His engagement to Mary is ending. He wants to do the right thing. Knowing how to do the right thing is not always easy. Life is messy. Things are not always clear. Issues are often complex. Often it takes serious thought to discern what is right in any given situation. But Joseph is fortunate because Torah speaks to this exact circumstance. It states in Deuteronomy that a woman who has a child that is not her husband's is not just to be divorced, but she, and she alone, the obvious patriarchy of this command is an important sermon for another day, but she is to be taken to the edge of the village and stoned to death. Torah teaches that the way you deal with unrighteousness is to purge your community from the unrighteousness. You purge unrighteousness from your midst. It's never as clear as we think it might be. This is what the book says to do. So it is noteworthy that Joseph just can't do it. He just can't. He knows what Torah says is right, but he can't do it. And if I understand the text, the reason he can't do what is right is because he is righteous. Right and righteousness are not always the same thing. Theologically, righteousness is a relational category. To be righteous is to be in right relationship, right relationship with God, right relationship with your neighbor. Joseph can't follow the rules because he sees that doing so damages his relationships. How can his devotion to God destroy his relationship to Mary? That is the question of righteousness. When my love for God becomes bad news for my neighbor, I have missed something in my love for God. When I was a kid, I needed to have my tonsils removed. 
to put me to sleep. They didn't give me an IV. They put a cone over my face that had gas in it. You remember it had gas in it? And I didn't like the smell. And so in my five-year-old protest voice, I said, it stinks. The nurse who had done this before, she said, well, Tom, just blow it away. That seemed reasonable to me. So, That's the last thing I remember. <laughs> you see, in my effort to purge myself from this unpleasantness, it was all in me. Sometimes when we seek to do battle with the evils of the world, when we see what is wrong in others, when we see what is wrong in a circumstance, when we engage to do what is right, sometimes we injure those we deem to be wrong. The irony is, I can follow the rules, I can obey the policy, I can, I can be right and at the same time fail to be good. Righteousness is about being good. My father-in-law was a pastor, he was a fine pastor, he had years of experience in ministry. And when his daughter married a pastor who had months in experience of ministry, my father-in-law claimed an opportunity to be a mentor. He found great joy in teaching me the ways of ministry, but there was a problem in this arrangement. I was 27 years old and very arrogant. I had been a pastor for almost a whole year. How much more was there to learn? I didn't want to be told how to preach a sermon or write a newsletter article or plan a session meeting. My lack of enthusiasm for this did not slow his eagerness to guide me, which meant that when my in-laws came from out of state and visited, they usually stayed with us long enough to have their mail forwarded. When they came to, when they came to visit, it would result at least in one tense conversation, at least one. There we were, two pastors going at each other about how to be pastors. It didn't change until I figured this out. When we were arguing, it didn't really hurt me, and it didn't really hurt him. But it did hurt Carol, my wife, his daughter. There she was watching the two men she loved most in the world go at it, each other. I every time thought I was right, and from time to time I may have been. And by the skill of my argument, I thought I, self, I thought I was purging myself from foolishness. But I was not good. I failed to pay attention to the negative consequences of my virtue. If love for the good becomes bad news for the neighbor, we have missed something of the good. Joseph was a righteous man. He understand that he understood that being right, that following the rules, that obeying the law was not enough. He was also responsible for the consequences of his faithfulness, the consequences his faithfulness had on others. When issues arise, be they as global as anti-racism or Israel-Palestine, be they as intimate as navigating family dynamics over the holidays, 
When issues arise, as people of faith, it is incumbent upon us to do the difficult work to discern what we believe is right. That matters. It is important. It matters what we think, how we speak, where we stand. But once we have determined what we believe to be right, we then have responsibility to pursue righteousness which is the harder work of paying attention to our relationships, particularly the consequences our rightness has on those relationships. It was years ago I was attending a meeting of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA. A General Assembly is kind of like a church family reunion. You see friends from all over the country. It's also like a week-long session meeting. There, there are committee meetings and debates and motions made. And, and as you know, the issue that defined the church for a generation, most of the generation of my ministry was the issue of the inclusion of the LGBTQIA community. You stood tall in that conversation. After a generation of theological exploration and debates, Bible studies and debates, motions made, motions debated, after a generation of that, you show up at GA, everybody knows who's on which side. We had been talking about it. We all knew it was like we arrived at the assembly clad in our team jerseys. We knew who was the righteous and who was, who was wrong. But in this particular assembly, a new issue hit the floor, the Middle East. And all of a sudden, it was like the spirit swept into the Presbyterian church's locker room and mixed up all the jerseys because all of a sudden, people whom you had known and loved and battled with for a generation were standing at the other microphone. And people who you had just known were crazy for over a decade, they're agreeing with you. And in that moment, I realized in one way that the church had become very much like the world. I realized we'd put all of our energy into being right and very little energy into pursuing righteousness. And we had let the issues determine who our friends were. In these days, I wonder if the greatest gift the church might offer the world is this. What would happen if instead of letting the issues determine who our friends are, we let our friendships lead us to navigate the issues? When issues arise, it is incumbent upon us to discern what we believe to be right. That is important work. But then we must pursue righteousness, which is the harder work of holding on to one another. Next Sunday, we will turn to Mary, for the truth of this week cannot be told without her. Joseph, on the other hand, it's possible to tell the story without him, but Matthew refuses to let us, and I'm grateful he would, won't. For perhaps just as much as God chooses Mary, God also chooses Joseph to raise his son. 
God still needed someone to be Jesus' daddy, to teach him the skill of carpentry, to take him to synagogue, to teach him to read scripture with the eyes of righteousness. And I'm pretty convinced that that old angel is still hanging around, still looking for people to whom God can entrust God's son, who know that it is not enough to be right, we also must pursue righteousness. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe, help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray, amen.